0: We shall see the crumbs of bread, and they will show us our way home again. This is
1: The The Grimcast. Grimcast. Hi. 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 Fitzy is here.
0: Fitzy's here. Our long-lost love.
1: We're so happy.
0: I know. I'm so happy I could actually join one. We've missed (laughs) you so. We just had to listen to your voice.
1: Are you excited to answer some fan questions?
0: Let's do it. Let's do it.
1: Hi, Claire, Bitsy, and Brie. My question for you all is if you had the chance to play another character on the show, who would it be and why?
0: I know who I would want. Who would you be? I'd want early Adeline. Really? I'll be back, girl.
1: It's a great schedule. (laughs) I was just going to say I would be David for salary purposes, but the schedule sucks. (laughs) Sucks. (laughs) But I'd have such great savings at
0: this point. (laughs) That's making me laugh.
1: I don't know. I really liked the wildness of what my character went through. So, you're content. I'm content.
2: Hi, big hello from Ireland. My question is, if you guys could be any one of the many creatures from your show, who would you want to be
3: in real life?
0: I would want to be Krampus. (laughs) Krampus. (laughs) You've
3: been naughty.
0: (laughs) Take all those little a-hole kids and put them in my sack. Give Them coal. <laughs> <laughs> I can't top that.
1: I can't top that. I was gonna say, if folks bow, I don't know, something cute. Oh, thanks. We can run really fast and have a cute disposition.
0: We like to be in packs, like little dens. Yeah, We're cute. Tween knit sweaters. We eat people's faces.
1: Seems like a good life. <laughs> it's a good life. <laughs>
3: My name is Kelly, huge fan especially of the female characters, which leads me to my question of do you think Grimm was before its time in casting very strong female characters or right on time leading up to casting more stronger female characters in future television shows and movies?
1: I was thinking about that, actually, now that we've been re-watching this show. You know when we were talking to Bitsy about the pilot and how her character was a baker, and then they changed and made her... A vet. So that she could have some more agency. And then all of the series reg women, and then when Jax comes on the scene, are really capable, really independent, and able to kind of define
0: their destinies. Oh, that's great, Claire. I mean, Rosalie was always the one with the answers. Yeah. I mean, Rosalie was like 12 steps ahead of everybody. I love playing Rosalie. She's aspirational for me.
1: (laughs) Not a lot of damsels in distresses.
0: Mm -mm. And, you know, even rewatching the most recent episode when there's the break-in and Juliet's life is threatened, you know, the handling of that could have been very different. And it doesn't feel We're going to make this choice to make her strong. It just feels like it's part of the fabric of the show. It's very honest. Very honest.
1: And I would say also Jim and David, the creators of our show, and Lynn, who is one of the executive producers, are very, I think, deferent to women in general.
0: It's like their healthy masculine energy.
1: Yes, I would say that. There's no toxicity at all.
0: We were just living the life. And I think also because of the casting of us as individuals... I never felt like I had to make a choice to be the smartest in the room. Rosalie just was.
1: And if I can say about the three of us women in general, I would say we have that in common of wanting to do things ourselves. Like, I think the three of us take a lot of pride
0: in our competency. This is true. It's not a very sexy thing. This is true. We are three highly competent (laughs) women. Hey, now. That's going to be like my 1-800. Are you looking for a highly competent (laughs)
2: I feel like Claire and I look alike with what we're wearing. I know, we have our little... Guys, uh, no, look at me. We're kind of twinning.
1: Wait, you have the turtle. Oh, you do too.
2: (laughs) This is a crew neck, so I'm not in the turtleneck club. It's also light purple. It's not white. But we look great. You look really cute, Betsy. You look great. Yeah. I placed myself in the room with the
0: most lighting for a reason. (laughs) I look like a lunatic. Look at me. I have a beanie, a turtleneck, a mock turtleneck sweater over the turtleneck. Well, you are ill. I am ill. I don't feel well. So
2: the update about Brie and her life is that she is amazing And she was in charge of this incredible, massive event. I mean, it looked professionally set-decorated. I was so impressed. But also, everyone got sick, including Brie. Including me. (laughs) I got sick at RSV.
1: Thank you for your sacrifice, though. I mean, I'm sure it was worth it for everyone. It was a hero's job. (laughs) Well, it's a good thing you didn't have to go to the clinic from our episode today.
0: Although, seems like a very friendly clinic.
1: (laughs) I don't know. Today's episode is called Organ Grinder. It's the 10th episode. Betts, will you read the episode synopsis?
2: I will. As Portland's homeless youth start to go missing, Nick uncovers a deadly black market supplying the grim world with human organs for all types of elixirs. As the investigation heightens, Nick and Juliet befriend a pair of unhoused siblings, Hanson and Gracie, whose friends have gone missing.
0: Uh, duh. I just figured that out. Hansel and Gretel. Hansel and Gretel. Blah. Dabry. Dabry. <laughs> Dabry. And it's the cold.
1: You know, because the names of everything is always super intentional. And the name of the clinic, Folter Clinic, I looked it up. It means torture in German.
0: Man, again, with the investigative work, Claire, you're really
1: doing your research. I like to put in a little extra.
0: I got to say that sandwich just placed on like the bare desk when the gentleman was looking up our victim's file, I was immediately in this post-COVID world, I'm like, There's COVID all over that sandwich. Even though I know COVID (laughs) doesn't live on surfaces, I know. That kind of grossed me out too. I was like, that's disgusting. You should at least put it on a napkin or a tissue.
1: I mean, if it were a clinic, if it were a set, everything is disgusting. (laughs) Well, first of all, with the crow picking out eyeballs. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. then also, whoever had to jump into that Mm water— Like the only time I had to do that was my first year in LA and I got hired on this super low budget, terrible. There was no oversight whatsoever, probably not even any insurance and had to jump into the Malibu
0: (laughs) Creek. Ew. That's just runoff, girl. That's not a creek.
1: (laughs) And it was freezing. I was like definitely sick for an entire week after. And I could not believe, do you think that that body that was floating after, was that a stunt person? Or was
2: that? That was a prosthetic it body. It was a prosthetic.
1: That was a
0: prosthetic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That body was going over boulders yeah. and shards of rock. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah.
2: I forgot how gross some of the prosthetics were. Oh. But that one really made me gag with the crow pecking out the eyes of the like the floating dead teen. I'm like, God, Barney Berman was so good. It's so gross. Because yeah, I am so, so, so,
1: so gross.
0: grossed out. That was gross. And also, like, Steven, character Stephen, like, oh, boy, I'm like a bad... 20 minutes there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. River floating crow. And then this like goes down a waterfall off a cliff. Off a cliff.
1: (laughs) This cold open. This is a very cold open. But then to go right from that into like Nick grilling Monroe, everything was so incredibly intense right off the bat. Like I was definitely jolted into this episode.
2: That scene with (laughs) With Nick and Monroe in the kitchen made me laugh, and they're talking about like, can you just Vogue for Juliet so we can just tell her? And then Monroe's like, no, that really would put a strain on a relationship. And then he goes, can you Vogue just a little? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! And then the dinner date scene with Nick and Monroe. Oh man. Sorry, I know I'm jumping ahead. No, no. When I Monroe's know. like pouting and he's like, what's my favorite color? You <laughs> oh never ask. And then, <laughs> and then Nick's like, all right, what's your favorite color? And he goes, you don't mean that. <laughs> And then he goes, red. It was so cute. And he's like so ashamed of it.
0: Yeah. It was so good. Anytime there's the bromance, it gives me so many feels. Yeah. I, too, was like, I thought everyone was like kind of in a bad mood this episode. Not like in real life, but like character-wise. It was like a cranky episode for all the characters. Everyone's like, you know, tiredness episode. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. There was like Uh this like...
2: "Mm."
1: (laughs) And we have the introduction of the spy shop. Guys, I
0: actually audibly gasped. I know. I know. I really did when I watched it. I audibly gasped, and I immediately had like a well of emotion come up when I heard the little bell. <laughs> the little bell's a like Pavlovian. Huh? The Spice Shop door opens. And that actually is the original Spice Shop Yeah, where I shoot my introductory episode coming up. Like in Portland. In Portland. Yeah, not on the stage, right? Yeah. I remember... Because the basement was the real basement that was filled with asbestos. (laughs) And I got to enjoy that. (laughs) (laughs) That and Freddie, your brother Freddie. I love that actor, Randy Shulman.
1: With the back dealings of, you know, one of my favorite moments is when Nick just takes all the powders and just slams it onto the floor. Like, you're not selling human organs anymore. (laughs) Dirty cop, Nick. But yeah, that was very, very exciting.
2: And like the gallbladder, the Viagra one, like, no, 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 you haven't been here in a while. It never goes bad because we can't keep it on the shelves long enough for it to go bad.
0: Yeah, (laughs) That exchange was really cute, right, Yeah, between the two of them. It made me realize how much I loved that actor, and I never got to work with him. And I kind of sad he died, although if he hadn't died, I would never have been on the show. So I guess thank you, Randy, for sacrificing your series regular position on Grimm for mine. But I thought he was a really great contribution to the show. Yeah, <laughs> I'm kind of sad he didn't get to stick around longer. He was a really great actor.
1: But yeah, this one was written by Akela, by the way. Akela and Spiro. And now Akela, who is writing, you know, Blumhouse horror films and is just the best. But it definitely, there was like uber macabre element of this one. Mm-hmm. And like all of the children lined up getting ready to have their organs removed.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Pretty gross. I think I officially think the Geyer thus far is the worst vessel. Did you notice the talons on the feet when she fell into the fire, Valerie
0: Cruz? I didn't, Claire. That's really nice investigative work you've done.
2: <laughs>
1: that sent it
0: over the edge for me. I don't think I really vibe on them like a creature hanging out in a tree above my head, like waiting to pounce on me when I'm just walking. <laughs> that sounds horrible. And then wants to eat me alive. I just don't think I want to encounter a guy. <laughs> oh, God. So gnarly.
2: Our guest this episode is so exciting and she is so wonderful. She's really the reason we are all here today. It is the grim casting director, Donna Rosenstein.
0: Hey!
3: hey. Hello. Hi, Donna! Hi! Oh my <laughs> God, so good to see your face. Good to see you. I didn't get the memo about the white headphones.
0: We've got our white headphones and white turtlenecks. Yes, look. We're all
3: matching today. (laughs) We're
0: like in a weird gang right now.
3: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I could have worn that. Yeah. I had to, like... (laughs) I just remodeled my house, and there's nothing on the walls, so... I moved two plants
2: it. looks beautiful. The greenery. It's like Between Two Ferns with <laughs> Donna
3: Rosenstein.
1: Wait, what's that spoof? Between Two Ferns. Between Two Ferns, the Galifianakis.
3: Between Two Ferns. <laughs> oh, this is a snake plant and a ZZ plant. There you go. Yeah. During COVID, I became like a plant mama. I have like plants everywhere.
2: Somebody gave me a plant for my birthday. Her name is Mabel. She's tiny and I am the opposite of a plant mom. And I'm more the type who I'm like, can you babysit Mabel? And so I routinely drop her off because I'm like, well, I have one plant. So I I do need to keep her alive, even if I can't myself keep her alive. So she gets dropped off at the
3: neighbors quite often to be babysat and watered. (laughs) It's like a play date. During the construction, I have like 20 plants. Wow. And I brought them all over to somebody. Like they were there for like two months. Oh my God. I got a plant sitter. Yeah. Okay, I don't feel as bad about dragging Mabel around. Which I actually think is like a business that nobody has. Plant sitting? Plant sitting. Yes. They have like dog walking apps. There should be a plant sitting app. A hundred percent. Yeah.
1: Thank you so much for doing this, by the way. We have been talking kind of nonstop about the casting of the show in all these previous episodes. Like, you know, especially how we all got hired. And then also just the and aspect of the show and hiring people who really do appear specifically animal-like. Like, I mean, it really was a feat what you were charged with and accomplished.
2: Especially when there's nothing to see. You know, you hadn't seen the pilot yet, so they're just saying, well, like, do this. So question, when did
3: you first hear about Grimm, and how did you get involved? Someone from NBC sent me the pilot, and I read it, and I honestly have to say that I was like, how are they going to do this? Like, how does this go from the page to the screen? Uh So I think that was brilliant. And I hadn't worked with Sean and Todd they had rejected me for another casting job, hmm. but they knew me. And Jim Capp was a writer on Ghost Whisperer, which you cast right, me in, right, right, right. which I cast you in. <laughs> I didn't know that Jim was a writer for... I didn't know that either. Yeah, he was on Ghost Whisperer for, I think at the beginning, I think. But I watched the pilot the other day. The Grim Pilot. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and then, like, I watched a little of episode 10. And also, I have to shout out to Marlo TD, who now lives in Atlanta. She was my co casting director for yeah. her, the series on. And then I think I went to Amazon in the middle of the last season and she finished the last season. Yeah. But it's really funny because I just started thinking when I saw the pilot, Claire. And at the end, with the key, like, all these memories started coming in. Like, I remember you came in, and Sean was there. It was me and Sean. And the line was, did you get the key? Did you get the key? Did you get the key? (laughs) Like, I just remember all these people saying, did you get the key?
1: Because I remember there was, like, a written scene for the audition because... It was now a scene. Yeah. Yeah, there were no lines, but... There was some inclination that, you know, this character would come back. We don't know. And so I think it must have been like, we're going to write a little thing
0: just to make sure one foot goes in front of the other. What was it about Claire's We'll Get the Key that just made it such a standout? Other than her innate X factor.
1: <laughs> I think it was like Lynn Kauf and my really long hair. I keep talking about <laughs> Lynn's obsession with my hair. But yeah, I remember the audition, too, because it was... Maybe toward the end of pilot season. I mean, they all felt last minute back then.
3: You're running around town. Yeah. And it's live and you're... <laughs> like changing in my car. Yeah. You're in Burbank. Yeah.
0: yeah. I very specifically remember this, Donna, with you. I was the last person there because it was so last minute. And because you and I had worked together on different shows. Like you cast me in, um, remember that pilot Flirt? Flirt. With Wayne Brady? Flirt. I still can't believe that didn't go. I cannot believe that didn't go. It's Wayne (laughs) Brady. What more do you want, man? I remember feeling specifically, who knows if that would have gone my way, if all those things hadn't lined up. Because I think because I was last and there wasn't anyone there, it was the end of the day. I remember the casting place over in Burbank, you know, deep Burbank. Main street. Main street, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. And you, because you're you and you're just straightforward and, like, so instinctual and such a human, you know, you got me right where I needed to be within, like, moments. It wasn't, like, overwrought and I just felt so safe and confident and I trusted you. I basically just did whatever you said. You were like, try it this way, try it that way. And I was like, well, okay. And then I left. And I was like, well, that was really so fun to, like, play with Donna
3: for 30 minutes at the end of a day. We had a play date. We had a play <laughs> date. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, Bitsy, I don't remember. All I remember is the network test. Yeah, it was pretty fast for me. And the lozenges. Oh,
2: yeah. The lo- <laughs> so with me, speaking of how fast this goes during pilot season, I was supposed to test the following week for a Fox drama that didn't end up going. But so this is a Tuesday, and I actually had texted David, and I said, hey, congrats, I saw in deadline that you booked the lead in this pilot. He writes back, you would be perfect for the girlfriend role. Have you read it? And I'm like, I haven't. I'm so busy. I'm good. Good luck to you. Bye. William Morris, which was my agency at the time, said, hey, your very last-minute audition. So so Tuesday night. It's straight to producers tomorrow. And they said, if they like you, you're testing. Studio test is Thursday. Network test is Friday. I read the pilot, and I'm like, oh, this is really fun. And this was on the Radford lot, right? Yeah. I just was thinking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer and how fun that was. And so I said to my team, I'm like, we'll keep working on the test deal. But like, I actually think this pilot's really fun. I'm going in. So I go in on Radford. There's a ton of people in the room. There were a lot of people. Yeah. yeah it was just a producer session. And I had two scenes and I did them each once. And they said, that was awesome. Thank you. And I left. And I always really like getting direction because for me, I'm like, okay, now I can show off a little bit. (laughs) But they just were like, thanks. Bye. Sort of nicer than that. And so I thought, okay, I think I even called my team and I was like, I don't think I'm what they're looking for, you know, moving on. And then Sean Hayes called my agent directly within about an hour or two and said she's testing tomorrow and tell her not to change a single thing. And then I don't know if the lozenge thing happened on Thursday or Friday. I don't recall knowing who you were.
3: It happened in the NBC kind of lobby. Yeah. Like you were waiting for something. Yeah, well, I was waiting to test. And I was coughing. You
2: were coughing so much. And I was like, this poor woman, because I didn't have any interaction with you
3: at the producer session. But Bitsy gave me a lozenge.
2: Yeah, this was back in the day when we carried our headshots around and I had it, my little oh my headshot God. folder and I had a little pocket with Fizine and ChapStick and cough drops and tissues.
0: Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Like
2: a pre-mama, Little Mary Poppins. And I said to Donna, who, again, no idea who she was. I was like, NBC executive, I don't know. But this poor woman needs a cough drop. <laughs> so I'm like, would I you like mind. a cough drop? I don't even really remember the studio or network test, if you want to talk about that. But then when I did book it, I remember my agent sent you a bag of cough drops. That's really. Oh, that's cute. That's really funny. <laughs>
3: The thing that I remember most about the first network test was David and... I forget the actor who tested opposite him. I honestly forgot. And then Russell and Reggie read for Hank. But I remember David came in and the other person came in and I had, you know, been through uh, the pilot season wars, you know, and had people rejected so many times. And like in the room... They approved David, oh. who, like, nobody knew. Wow! Like, I literally fell off my chair. Wow. Like, I remember someone at NBC turned to Todd and Sean and Mark Buckland and said, what do you guys think? And, you know, they said they loved David. And they're like, great, good. And I was like, wow, it was crazy. Oh, my God, this is new information. That is so cool. I get chills. Yeah. Yeah. That leads to my, I told you I had a favorite pilot story. Oh, yeah. So my favorite pilot casting, we hired Russell for Uh Hank, But everybody like loved Reggie. And what I loved about being a casting director, and I think the producers that I worked with loved having me, is like I kind of always just felt like one of the creators of the show. Uh And now I can't remember the last name, but there was like a recurring role In Portland, Sergeant something. That was not a series regular or anything. And I also remember saying to them, you know, this police precinct is like really small. (laughs) Like there's (laughs) a lot of people working here. Yeah, there's
2: like three people.
3: And I said, why don't you make Reggie Sergeant whatever it was? It's like in the pilot script. Anyone who has the pilot script remembers Why don't you make him a series regular? I mean, those were sort of like the early days of representation. And, you know, it was just so great to cast him. So I called NBC and Grace Wu was the head of casting at NBC at the time. And I said, we need to make this happen. And then we called him Sergeant Wu. I love that. Oh, my God, Donna. This is insane. I
1: don't know if Reggie even knows that part of it because he was telling us about the Grace Wu part. Like, I'm named after Grace Wu.
0: But he knows they basically, like, made a role for him. Yeah. Wow, Donna. You, like, single-handedly changed his trajectory in his life. That's so crazy. Yeah. Wow. These are the intangible, like, this is what our fans, you know, so it's just so great to have you on because— It's such a crucial job. I mean, you are creating the show. You are. I mean, you got to bring these people in front of the execs, right? But your spidey senses have got to be so sharp and so honed in. And then also in an ensemble show like this to kind of see the bigger picture of like, how does this person serve within the chemistry of the dynamic, you know, or even inserting people later on like me, you know, even just the weekly guest stars. There's so much a part of it It's an intangible quality that you don't even understand is like making your experience happen, you know, just like the casting process. And also it's like random too. I mean, what if so-and-so was sick and they couldn't show up? Boom. You know, then you got to pivot and go
3: somewhere else. There was somebody who tested for Bitsy's part who was sick and couldn't show up. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. We showed her take. But like in those
0: days, right? tape is tough even in these days, but particularly then, it's like good
3: night. Yeah. But Lester's regular cast in the pilot was Sasha. Mm. Nobody could kind of figure out who this person should be. And at one point, I think they said, well, let's try women. We kind of went back and forth. And it was so towards the end that everybody was already in Portland prepping. Oh, wow. And I brought in Sasha. And I think also everyone was in Portland prepping when Claire came in, too.
1: Yeah, because I came in, I think, with Sasha. Like, we met each other at the hotel at the same time.
3: And I put Sasha on tape, and I directed him. Wow. Then they sent the tape to NBC, and he was approved. And that was great, you know. Because that's sort of like the casting director dream. You know, you really get to direct a performance, present a performance. And not have to go through a million steps, right. right, to get somebody cast,
1: and have people that trust you. I mean, that's the other part of it too. Where like we were talking about how Jim and David and Sean and Todd like just very collaborative people in general. But you know, it speaks to who you are, your reputation in the industry, and just how you are to work with. That you have people who will trust you to do your job. You know, because the casting director also can communicate in a way that producers and sometimes even directors can't, you know, because it's such a specific environment, like casting and those reads.
3: Well, it's safe. When you're in the casting director's office, you're safe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's what I was about to say. You're very vulnerable in a
0: casting office.
2: How do you feel now about the Zoom auditions versus being in the room? Like, what's your personal feeling? Because I was talking to David Rappaport, who casts Superman and Lois, and he was saying the benefit of doing it over Zoom is that he can see so many more people, And I was like, I get that, but I'm personally always going to prefer to be in the room so that I can get adjustments and get direction on the spot and also vibe with people and they can kind of feel my
3: energy, you know? So what's your opinion on that? Well, I mean, I haven't had the experience because I've been at Amazon since before COVID of casting everybody on tape. I mean, at least what David is doing is he's interacting. I think it's very hard for the casting directors to go through all these tapes and to be able to like be present and to look at the performances and say, there's something here, or Or maybe this person's right for a different role. So I think it's a mixed bag, really. Mm -hmm. I think it's really like a mixed bag of, yes, more people get to audition. I think before the pandemic, there were a lot of casting directors who were starting to do pre-reads all on tape so that they could see more people and And I think it's very individual. Mm -hmm. Like, I really enjoyed being in the room, but there's only so many hours in the day. Yeah. I haven't spoken to a single actor. I mean, Claire and Brie, I think you both agree we all prefer being in the room.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, also just the amount of content now, especially at a streamer where you are, Donna. Like, I mean, I would imagine there's just not enough hours in the day to do your job with the amount of casting now there is for all these shows. You know, that's a lot of work for you.
3: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I don't look at every one of those tapes. Yeah, right? you have a team. But it's a lot of work for the casting directors that are doing it, you know? Yeah. The casting directors are really taking the time to look at everybody's audition. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to get energy from other people in the room. And to do it without that energy, you have to create your own energy. And I think it's really hard. It's hard, Yeah.
0: It's also just like Claire was saying, I think just because we know how it used to be, there has been a slight mourning process of like, oh, man, that was really fun. You know, it was really fun to like drive into the lot and park and walk and sign in and see your assistant. And the adrenaline, too, of knowing
1: just speaking of pilot season now, like here's this finite amount of time. There's all of these like cogs working that you're not seeing and you're getting to see your buddies in the waiting room and it just really felt so alive. And you just never knew like what your next day was going to be and like Bitsy, your story of if they like you here, you're going to be going to this and it just all happened so fast and it was so, so much fun. And yeah, it's a different ballgame with your job at Amazon now there's not really a seasonality to it. I mean, you're planning and prepping
2: and dealing with it all the time.
3: There's no season. And I mean, even like the network season, I think it's not what it used to be. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a
2: thing of the past now.
3: Yeah. There like isn't really a pilot season anymore. Yeah, no, I don't think there is. But I used to feel bad because people always had to wait a really long time. Like looking back at it now. That is the one thing. We probably trade waiting. But it always just happened that way. Like I remember the space at Hazy Mills when we were casting Grimm. Like it was crowded, really tiny. Yeah, and there were people like all over the halls, just waiting in different
0: places. Oh, but I love that. That's like the circus performer in me. I like love that. I got
1: pulled from a waiting room. This was Lost, so I had read for Lost didn't make it past it just didn't feel like I was right for it. And then I was in the waiting room for another pilot and someone had their assistant grab me to come into the producer session for loss the next day. You know, like just that kind of that kind of stuff would happen because it did feel just like, I don't know, like nobody wants to miss out on whatever the next thing is going to be. And maybe there's just like people running from offices to office. I just remember this visual of like someone with a laptop running from one office across the hall to show some tape from New York that had just dropped. I mean, it's, oh my god! Just wild. It's so fun.
3: Yeah, and it was a lot of energy, and I would think for you guys, sort of the camaraderie and seeing people you know in the waiting room.
0: Oh yeah, we had Jamie Ray Newman on recently, and you know, we're all in the same kind of generation, and so we had a lot of stories of like back in the day when we would all see each other. You know, right. we were like, yeah. you know, always on the list together. Don, I have to geek out and fangirl. You know, my other favorite show besides Grimm that we're discussing is Mrs. Maisel. Uh It has just been like a light in my life of just entertainment and storytelling. And just talk about like a casting dream is just everyone. There are no small parts. That is such an example of like casting, casting, casting and just the right people
3: Yeah, I mean, on that show, every extra is cast. Oh, yeah.
0: Wow. You can
3: feel it. Every costume on every extra is specifically designed. I mean, I remember being out on set one day, and they were shooting in New York a winter scene, and it was like 90 degrees in the summer. (laughs) Of course. And all these people are standing in like overcoats, and the costume designer, who's like brilliant, I'm staring at her book, Her name is Donna Zakowska, and she wrote this book, Manly Marvelous. Like, she would literally walk around and adjust the bow ties, you know. But yeah, that was a dream. I was actually Friday on set the entire day, like 12 hours for the last day of shooting. Mm. Oh, God. Oh, man. And everybody was crying. We had the wrap party the next day, and that was an incredible experience. You know, that's where streaming has different resources, and different time constraints and making eight episodes a year. I mean, the fact that we made 22 Grimm's. Yeah. Yeah. 22
2: every season except for the last one. So in total, 123. Nobody does that anymore. Oh, wow, That's a lot. Although David's show last season did 20. And I remember thinking, "Wow, Whoa.
0: you know, it just felt like so many. Yeah. You know, because we do eight to 10. Yeah. yeah. It is definitely a different time. It's just evolution of it all. I definitely am not like old man screams at cloud about it. It's cool. It's just different. You know, so funny, guys, I have to tell you just because we're talking about like long running Siri. I opened up this notebook last night and I found my 2009 New Year's resolutions. They are hysterical. Okay. And sadly, most of it I'm still writing down and it's 2022. So like (laughs) not a lot of personal growth, clearly. So it was 2009. I booked Grimm in 2012. But I remember, you know, particularly at this time when it was all about getting that long-running series, that 22-episode series, you know, like that was the gold standard. Grimm was my first series regular long-running job. You know, I was doing mostly features and so many pilots that don't get picked up, but I wrote long-running network show.
3: <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> I was really lucky. I had three. Five. What were the other? I had Ghost Whisperer, Castle, and Glenn. Oh, Castle. Castle. That's right. I forgot. <gasps> Chadwick Boseman was a one-day guest star um, on Castle. Me. On Castle. Wow. The amount of actors that were on that show were, like, unbelievable. I love that show. Oh, Nathan yeah. Nathan Fillion is, like, such a hunk. Yeah. I cast that pilot. I cast that pilot during the writer's strike 2008. Yeah. Yeah. We cast Castle in the Ghost Whisperer offices because they were empty. I was like, come on, guys, we could do it here. (laughs) That was a major show, Castle. Yeah, that went for a long time. That had some like moonlighting vibe.
0: There weren't a lot of shows like that at that time of that chemistry and the two and just a duo, male, female. Yeah.
1: That's a good question. Like when you're casting a pilot, were there chemistry reads? Bitsy, you and David read together, right?
3: Yeah, we had a chemistry read.
1: What is that like when you're putting people together?
3: Well, Castle was all chemistry, right? Like the two of them, like Sonic Attic and Nathan Villian, their chemistry had to work or there wasn't a show. Mm -hmm. So Nathan was cast very early on. And I don't remember how many hundreds of people read for the part. And then it was kind of narrowed down and studio tests. But the thing, which it's very expensive, so we don't really do it anymore. I think we do it in some streaming shows. I think we've done it for some Amazon shows, but we did like a proper film test with Nathan and Stana and the director directed it and they cut it together and then you could see it. What a luxury. That was a great luxury. We've done it a couple of times, but since I remember like in network folklore, it was like the last film test. Because when you do a one-camera test, it's not the same. You know, you're always looking at somebody's side or over the shoulder, and it's just not the same. But, like, it was so worth it. Oh, my God. It's like, I hear you say it's so expensive, and this is where I just am like,
0: oh, just a bunch of knuckleheads, man. Like, what's more expensive, doing a whole show that tanks because you didn't get the right people? Or, like, spending, I don't know, whatever, on a weekend? Like, to me, that's insanity. Yeah. It is a requirement. (laughs) I mean, like, the whole show depends on that kind of stuff, you know? And so funny, speaking of chemistry, it's like on Maisel, you know, um, the actor who plays Lenny Bruce. Oh, Luke Kirby? Yeah. Those kind of moments when you're like, oh, oh." (laughs) you know, and like, those are just things that just poof. You just don't know if it's going to work. I'm sure you see it immediately.
1: But how often are you surprised by, like, this person and this person coming together and like, oh, wow, that
3: wasn't what I expected? Like, on Maisel, so much has to do with the writing. I think if you have really good writing and really good actors. They'll find it. They find the chemistry.
2: Yeah. I'm not obviously not going to name names that… In real life, these two people who play lovers on a TV show, they hate each other. Hate each other. Hate. That's not uncommon. Like, won't even sit near each other on set, hate each other. But when they're filming, Mm -hmm. the writing's good. They're finding it, and you wouldn't know, you know? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And also, you don't always have the luxury of time to do chemistry reads. Even for us, we did not meet each other until we were filming, Tyler and I, and I remember the day I first worked with Tyler, which was on The Flash, as Lois and Superman, I was like, please don't hate this guy. Please don't let him be a douche. Please have him be nice. Please great chemistry. Because I had no idea. Hadn't met him. And then we just walk on and thank God it was there. I mean, half the time, most of your actors are already working. And if you're casting an important recurring or something, I would imagine you don't have that luxury to necessarily always do a chemistry read. No, you don't.
3: Tyler was on Castle. He played Castle's daughter's violin teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that's funny to that me.
1: It's an amazing memory. Oh, my God.
0: Yeah. Curtis, the violin teacher. And
1: Are there any sort of tricks you have when you're cataloging humans? <laughs> cataloging humans? Because there's so many actors and there's so many people who come through your doors. And when you're doing a series like Grimm or Castleware, it's like you need to hire this person and you just found out what the role was and they need to be hired in two days
3: and just... How do you do that? I guess is the question. Oh, God. Well, I would say that Grimm was, I'm not going to say easy, but there was a very clear path to hiring the guest stars because the roles were so specific and so clearly defined. And we cast some people just off their demo and some people auditions. And because they had to travel, like, we couldn't cast them the night before. Right. Because the episodes were really so much about the guest stars, in a way, each one. Mm -hmm. And I think because the parts were sort of meaty and juicy, actors, they really wanted to do it. Yeah. That's so nice
0: to hear. Yeah, that is nice to hear. Yeah. Every guest star was great.
3: Yeah. Every guest star was a gamer.
0: That's a good way to put it, a gamer, Mm because it really was, like, just accept these
1: circumstances are so wild. And yeah, everybody who came up was so on board. And they all really
0: got a chance to shine. Yeah. And that's not always the case. Right, right. Because you guys have done guest star roles. Well, I got a little soft when we wrapped the show. I jumped on to and did a super dramatic cold open. So it was just a one-day guest star. It's a cool part. But I was like, oh, I got a little soft being a series regular for six seasons because the guest stars are the ones with all the drama like a procedural type show, your guest star is bringing the story. So you are like a fully realized person and you got to really work. That's the joy of being on a show for a long time is because you get so into the character's skin after that many years. It just, it feels so easy and you're there to support a lot of times the guest star's procedural
3: storyline. I talk to actors all the time about this right? used to talk to them more about this. I think that someday in my life, I'm going to teach a class on procedural guest star (laughs) acting because I would like to tell people, you come in, you know, your lines, your purpose is to move the story along, especially on a show like Castle, you know, there would be like three red herrings Mm -hmm. and the killer. And there's usually a lot of dialogue and it's just like, get the information out. That is your job. And if you come to it from that way, you'll get jobs all the time. It's just that sometimes people will come in and audition and try to make a character Kind of more than it needed to be. Yeah, like make a meal out of it where it doesn't need to be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the clarity, Donna, what you're saying is like, that's the goal. You need to know what your purpose is. doesn't mean it's any less truthful. You don't do all that process. I mean, we really did not have this on Grim. I mean, every guest star that came on was honestly a pro, amazing. Everyone was very experienced. Yeah. But, you know, we've been on sets where you see that person come down the pipeline. You're like, oh, my God. A, you're going to waste so much time here. And you also are not going to be hired again. I agree. I think that would be a good
3: class of just people breaking into the biz, you know. Yeah, someday. (laughs) But like every role, you know, and I think we were also really lucky in Portland. There were a lot of really good actors.
0: A lot of really good actors. A lot of stage actors up there because there's a really vibrant civic light theater scene up there. And I mean, everyone was so great. Would you watch the show? Oh, yeah.
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Every Friday night. And we would just laugh. Like when I saw the pilot like two days ago and I heard the word hex and beast, I was like, oh my God. We had this glossary. Yeah. And like a three page glossary yeah. of all these terms. Oh, yeah. That only got bigger and bigger. Yeah. Oh,
2: God. You know, so it was fun. It was such a fun show. Yeah.
0: Plus, you're the gatekeeper when you're reading with actors of, like, explaining this stuff. I mean, I go to casting, you know, if I, I see some word I don't understand. I want to know what that is before I get in there. So you had to have all that information.
3: Yeah, it had its own language. <laughs> I just have to say, watching that pilot two days ago, it was like, Oh, my gosh.
0: That's how we felt. Yeah. That's how we all felt, too. Just like, We're (gasps) watching these for the first time. Mostly Claire and I, because Bitsy was on it from the beginning. Yeah. But a lot of these episodes, I had not seen. So it's like... I'm like a fan.
3: Well, Claire was in
1: one of the first scenes. Yeah. I mean, I remember everything about shooting the pilot. And then after that, it all gets very, very blurry. But there's always so much pressure. And then on this show, you're like, there's so much pressure. And you're not totally sure what's being asked of you. You know, like we're all
0: finding
2: it in such a new way.
0: I think that's not necessarily a bad thing.
2: (laughs) Yes. Going back to the pilot, every time she's running and she gets pushed out of the (laughs) woods, I jump. And I know it's coming, and I know when it's coming, and every single time, I jump, and it
3: still freaks me out. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. It's such a great pilot. Yeah, and when I also watched it, I was like, wow, this was, like, intense. And, like, a little ahead of its time with the supernatural Mm -hmm. elements and everything. Like, scary,
1: gory, funny. No, it's a good
3: show.
2: (laughs) And just... Portland, so beautiful. I remember when we were filming the pilot and it was before everybody had gotten up there yet. So it was in the beginning and we had taken a little van out and we had gone to Multnomah Falls for the first time. And I just was mesmerized. I probably have like a hundred photos on my phone from that. It would have been March, 2011 of just that bright green moss that grows all around the tree branches. I'd never seen anything like it. It was mesmerizing photographs
3: so well too.
0: Did you ever go—I mean, you guys have to use your imagination. I can't imagine you went up there.
3: I've never been to Portland. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. I never went up to said—I'm not sure why. Because you're busy. Well,
2: because you were
1: busy casting
3: (laughs) the shows.
2: Thank you so much, Donna. Donna,
1: this has been awesome. Thank you so, so much for taking the
0: time. Oh Oh my gosh. Go take care of those plants. Yeah, go take care of the other 18.
3: (laughs) The plants (laughs) need you. The other 18, (laughs) yes. All right, it's great to see all you guys. So good to see you. So good to see you. Uh, Great to reminisce. Yeah. I look forward to hearing the podcast. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you, honey. Bye.
0: I have, like, a lot of just warm, fuzzy feelings for Donna. No. So. And I think it is all connected to just also that time. And, like, for us, that would have been the last
1: time, you know, just making the rounds because then post Grimm, it
2: just felt very different. It wasn't the same. It wasn't the same. The whole industry had changed so much, specifically yeah. during Grimm. Mm-hmm. And I remember when House of Cards premiered, you know, on Netflix. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, I was still getting the Netflix DVDs. And it was really during Grimm that everything shifted so dramatically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that would have been one of the last, like what the industry was like when we started. And that was sort of the beginning of the end. But she's just so wonderful. And I mean, Maisel is such a good example of how brilliant she is at her job, because that show in particular, as renowned as it is, one of the things that it's gotten so much attention for is the casting.
1: And she's so kind. Like, she's one of those casting directors who, like, you really do believe she wants you to do well, and you really do
0: feel so supported. And it just
1: makes such a difference.
0: Thank you to everyone listening. Please keep leaving us messages by following the link in the show notes.
1: And if you haven't already rated the show, please do so wherever you are listening to the podcast. It really helps people find the show.
0: To be continued.